listening to First Church Charlotte. Praise the Lord, everybody, once again. I love All Nations Sunday. I love seeing all of you in the house. I love singing along with the different styles of music. I like it all. Now, I am, uh, as you know, uh, I am just a southern boy who was not even born in the south. And uh, so uh, Valeria asked me if I had on my traditional dress this morning. I said, yes, this actually is my uh, traditional dress. And uh, I am for a, uh, I'm what you call an American mutt. Uh, I was born in San Diego and I grew up in the South and I have an English name. You call that a rescue dog. <laughs> and you, you go down to the pound and you take the rescue dog home. But I, I'm glad you guys all adopted me. It is a joy and a pleasure to be in this house with, with all of you. Uh, you actually did not see all of our congregations. We actually had a French, have a French-African congregation that has service at 2 o'clock in the gym. And they were going to have a choir, but some things fell through. And so they were not here today singing, but most years they are and we love them and we are glad to be a part of have them to be a part of us us be a part of them and so it is a it is a joy uh, I, I, I was one of the great disappointments of my life if I was living over again one of the things I would do is I would learn how to speak Spanish and when they were speaking singing that song up here I just that's such a it's such a fun you know, culture and uh, the, the uh, you know, uh, people having, I don't know what that thing they do at parties where they do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you notice that none of the Spanish people are doing that? It was all white people doing that. <laughs> Not even kidding. Not even kidding. It's like a bunch of American Mets over here like, <laughs> and the Spanish people are like, really, really? <laughs> Why you got to do me like that? <laughs> so much fun. I love all of our cultures. I enjoyed the Spanish song. I just sang it my way, you know. Necesito mas tacos, mas, mas enchiladas, mas queso aquí. Necesito mas tacos. Yeah, that's how I sing that song. Um, and you can tell it, it, it it's spiritually true in my life. And so... Um, all right, let's try to preach here. It ain't a very spiritual bunch we have here today. I probably just preach on sin and have an altar call, but uh, let me try to share with you something uh, today, and let's go somewhere together in the in the Word of the Lord. Um, I want to say first of all, it is a honor of my life to be a part of this church, and I want to say that two different ways. Um, neither of them you're probably used to hearing, but I, I think it's important on this day uh, to say that. And that is, and that is first of all this, all of you um, haven't been forced to be a part of this multicultural of a church. Uh, there's lots of churches where everybody there votes like you, thinks like you, cooks like you, raise their kids like you, and you could have chosen that. Um, if that had been what you felt like was the safe place. Uh, the last few years in American culture, we've had one of the greatest political divides as far as the tension in our society that we have ever experienced, at least in, in my memory. And the result of that is... Uh, 
a lot of fear, a lot of uh, resistance one to another, a lot of closing of the American heart, um, and being unabashedly uh, conflict be, you know, conflict-based about it, uh, just kind of in your face, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And I talk to a lot of pastors, and I have uh, so many pastors, I've heard about uh, people who, during this time, uh, they quit going to a church because they felt like if the church did not come down on the side of their tribe's politics, uh, then they didn't belong to that church. And there's been a lot of people moving um, not being led of the Spirit. I know they say that, but trust me, everybody says that. Um, they're, they're not moving because this Lord is move, moving them. I'm not saying the Lord doesn't move some people. I'm just saying that, that I don't feel like has been the theme of the last few years. Uh, there's been this great tension in our political life, our social life of America, where if you don't think like I do, we have nothing in common. If you don't share my politics, we have, we have nothing in common. We have no place for, for each other. And there have been, there have been some people who um, did the last few years who they could not, they, they could not be a part of that open of a church. And uh, they had to seek a church where they were more in some way reassured. But I'm not talking to them today. I'm talking to all of you. And I want to commend you and say to you that the heart you have to be open to other people, I believe, is a testimony to the love of God that's been shed abroad in your life and in your heart. Uh, I, I'm very much aware that uh, when we are in tension, when we are in political strife, it is a very human thing to withdraw from other people and to huddle with the people who make you feel not just safe, but reassured that your way is the best way, the best culture, the dominant way, the dominant culture. This is the way everybody should do it. And you, instead of building bridges, what you do is you, you put some gates on the bridges you have and you build walls where there's an easy crossing. And I, I do not believe this is the will of the Lord. I believe that Christ came not just to break the curtain that separated the Shekinah glory from the people. Yes, he rent that curtain. He brought us into the presence of God, but he also removed the middle wall of partition that separated people from people. Not just people from God, but separated people from people, do you see? And so that middle wall of partition, where if you were not of the house of Israel, you had to stay in the outer court. And if you were a woman, you could only go to the court of women, and only Jewish men were allowed into the center court, the main court, and even they, in line with everyone else, were excluded from the place where the manifest presence of God dwelt, the Shekinah glory of God. Can you imagine living your whole life knowing that God's Shekinah was always close but always out of reach? This is not the way God wanted it to be. He did not want us far from Him, and He did not to want to be far from us. And God moved. I wish that all of us would be reminded in our spirit of this. God moved heaven and earth. He opened heaven and He broke hell. 
so people who once were afar off have now had the opportunity to be brought close to God by the work of the cross. And so our church is not a perfect church. There is no such thing. And if there was, then you wouldn't be welcome there. So we're not looking for a perfect church, right? But our church does have a culture of bridge building. And I think it's my opinion that that is what heaven should feel like. It should, heaven will feel like a land of bridges. A good, healthy church feels like a land of bridges. You like Duke, you like NC State, you like Carolina. That's all right. We all come to church and leave our sports out in the parking lot. See how I killed the spirit just that fast. Just, just that fast I killed the spirit. Some people like South Carolina. They're not welcome in our church. That's, that's, they need to find another church. That's funny. I don't care what y'all say. Uh, uh, we want to have a church that feels like a land of bridges. What do people do when they're afraid? They put gates on the bridges or they tear them down. And they reassure themselves that their tribe is right. And the way they cook is best. And the way they raise their children. And the way they solve social difficulty and social problems. That's the only way it should be done. But I, I'm here to tell you there's a better way. And that is the way shown to us in the book of Revelations. Where? The prophet saw a day to come where across the great expanse of eternity has assembled all the tribes of the world. Every tongue, every kindred, every people, they are all there. How can they coexist, you might ask yourself. How can they get along? Well, this is how they can get along. First of all, their attention is not on themselves. Second, of all, their attention is not on other people. The reason why they can come together with hope and unity and joy is because their attention is on the one who died to wash their sins away. You so, show me a church where people aren't focused on each other. They're not focused on your style, your habits, how you think, how you act, but they focus their eyes on the goodness of God. I'm going to show you a church where the presence of the Lord is and so I celebrate that and I commend all of you who uh, not uh, not only not only do you go to church but uh, you opened your heart to a church with lots of people that are different from you I I say you're going to feel right at home in heaven uh, the, second, the second thing that I'm thankful for is that God put us in the part of the city that he did. There is no part of this city that is more multicultural than East Charlotte. Uh, we have every, every background you can imagine. In fact, the Center uh, for a Refugee Services uh, to help people who are coming to Charlotte as refugees from all around the world is about a mile and a half right over there. They put their offices right here. In fact, our, our church has a relationship with them and uh, someday may have a better relationship with them. Uh, some of the congregations that we have started in times past were a direct result of refugees coming to Charlotte and looking for 
a church and calling the church and us connecting with them and us hosting them and letting them have service in their own language. We've done a lot of it, and I believe it's the will of the Lord for us to do more of it as he blesses and as he leads. You can go anywhere in the world and you will find that people basically want the same things. They just have different opinions about how to get what what it is they want. This isn't just my opinion. Uh, It is uh, very much shared by people who study cultures and very much shared by world travelers who have spent most of their life in other countries with other people. Uh, It is a human thing for all of us to want basically the same thing. All of us want to have safe, a safe place to live our lives. All, all of us want to have a meaningful, meaningful life and meaningful uh, employment. All of us want to see our children have better lives than we have. All of us want to see our families flourish, not just survive, but flourish. Everybody all around the world wants uh, the same thing. We're all at best just people, and we are all at worst just people. And there is something universal within the heart of humanity that is incomplete with what the world can offer. I want to show this to you in the book of Haggai, the Old Testament prophet, chapter number 2, verse number 7. He writes this, speaking for the Lord, I will shake all nations. Somebody say all nations. If you're sitting by a little person, reach over and grab their shoulder and just shake them real good. That's right, just shake them real good. Uh, See, the Lord prophesied that you would be shaken and you have come to church and what do you know? The scripture is fulfilled. I will shake all nations, the Lord says. And notice this, and what is desired by all nations. I want you to notice that passage. What is desired by all nations will come, and I will fill this house with glory. What is desired by all nations will come. Remember, I said everybody has similar wants. Everybody wants pretty much the same things. They just have different paths to getting there. No one wants to be miserable. Uh, They want to be happy. It's just their opinion on how they can be happy may be different from your opinion on how to be happy. Uh, We all are similar in our creative um, creative essence and who we are and who God made made us to be. And so the writer says that he who is the desire of all nations will come and he will fill the house with glory. Uh, The King James uses this phrase in referring to that. He calls Christ the desire of all nations. What what is this object of desire? Uh, It is this, to be reconciled to God. Jesus Christ is that one who enables us to be reconciled to God. All of us are looking for something. Whether or not you're a believer or an unbeliever, you have a restless heart. 
Whether or not you like church or don't like church, you have a restless heart. Whether or not you like our style of worship and singing or whether you wish that I had a banjo up here and I was singing some bluegrass. I like bluegrass. I make my kids listen to bluegrass on the way to school in the morning. Uh, This past week, Ellery told me, she said, Dad, I think I like bluegrass. My older son rolled his eyes and began to hit his head against the glass of the car. Um, uh, I like all kind. I like all kinds of music, you know. And I hope you like what we do. We we really try to 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 craft what we think will hit as broad a group as as possible. Uh, but there is within you uh, a desire to be reconciled. To God, even if you don't, uh, you're not a believer like, say, I am. You still crave something. You are the carrier of a restless spirit. And I would say to you that if you think of Jesus as the one who reconciles us to, to God, and Christ as the one who builds a bridge of connection between our fallen reality and God's eternal nature, if you think of Jesus as the one who enabled us to have access to the heart of God. If you think of Jesus that way, you understand what the writer says when he says that the Lord will shake all of the nations and what is desired by all nations will come. Doesn't matter your background, you desire to be reconciled to your creator. You'll use different words than I do. You might be a a secular modernist and you won't use religious words, but oh, you can be just as uh, discomforted by your lack of meaning as anyone who is coming to church and coming to an altar. All of us need something to reconcile us to eternity. Therefore, Jesus Christ becomes the desire of every nation. Jesus Christ becomes the desire of every people, every tribe, every tongue. Jesus Christ becomes the desire of all of us. And so the hymn writer Charles Charles Wesley, brother of John Wesley, he wrote the famous Christmas carol, Hark, the Herald Angels Sing. Some of you will be singing that here in a few months. Some of you have already started listening to Christmas music. You know who you are. He starts out verse number four of that of that of that song, that hymn, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Come, desire of nations, come. Come, desire of nations, and come. Uh, all of us seek uh, to be reconciled to God. All of us seek to be connected to eternity. In the ministry of Jesus Christ, the, the crowd seek him out. In fact, the crowds function as one of the leading characters in the story. We don't know all of their names. We don't know all of their individual uh, witnesses, but all of them are seeking something. Even when Jesus is ran out of a part of the country, there is a story, Mark chapter number five, where after Jesus frees the man possessed of demons in an area of the Holy Land called Gadara, uh, the people of that area, this was called the, the Decapolis. It is an area of 10 cities uh, in the Holy Land that
that had predominant Greek influences. And so even though there were plenty of Jews there, uh, they had been what you would think of as Hellenized Jews. And that was a big divide in Jewish culture in this particular time. In fact, the first scripture that was ever written down uh, was putting, putting the, 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 the Old Testament Bible in Greek, uh, the first translation, I should say, because so many Jews did not speak their uh, Aramaic or Hebrew. They, they spoke Greek, and the first translation of all the Bibles was putting it into uh, Greek in these 10 cities, the Decapolis, uh, this part of the country Jesus comes to in Mark 5, and he frees a man of a slave, uh, a spiritual slavery, bondage, and demon possession. And the representatives of the town come to him, and what do they do? They ask Jesus to leave. He came, he did one miracle. Uh, I used to preach this story as an evangelist, and I would preach it in this way. Jesus knew before he crossed the sea to go to Gadara that they didn't want him there. So why would he endure the storm? Why would he go there anyway? Because there was one person there who needed freedom. Don't ever believe the lie of the devil that God doesn't see you. God sees you. I said God sees you. God sees every tear. I wish I was preaching to some folks here today who would admit they need this right now. God sees you. Don't let hell tell you you don't matter. Don't let the devil tell you you don't matter. God sees you. He'll cross an ocean just for you. No one else in your family want him. But look at you all in the church house praising God. They're trying to get me fired up. That's what they're trying to do. I'm, 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 I'm as calm as I can be. You watch that. Uh, here, here we see one man, Christ comes, he delivers, and then what happens? They come to him, the people of the Decapolis area. They, they say, look, we don't need you here. What does Jesus do? Jesus doesn't try to force himself if he's not wanted. What does he do? He leaves. But even when he's not wanted, even when he's asked to leave, you'll notice the crowd still seek him. They still come to find him. Even if they don't understand everything, they will come. It's only when Jesus intentionally pushes them to the point of not understanding and they cannot take it anymore that they stop seeking him. And it is shown in the Bible story of Jesus saying to them, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, uh, you'll have no part of me. Jesus intentionally pushed them beyond their comfort zone to show them and all of us that Christ is not captured by your doctrine. Christ will do what Christ wants to do. Even if you don't understand, some of the greatest moves of God that I've seen in my life came with things that if you wanted to criticize, you could criticize. But God didn't care that you were criticizing. He moved anyway. Amen. Isn't that amazing? Every great revival in history, if you get into the details of it, you can find a certain ugliness in it. You can find a flawed story in it. The great revival leaders, the great preachers, if you dig around long enough, you'll find something where it is ugly. And you'll say, see, this does not speak well of God, but God's not really interested in your judgment of him. He's going to do what God will do. And so the people follow Jesus. Why? First of all, everybody wants a miracle in their life. 
everybody wants a miracle. Let me, let me point out to you that all of us learn very early how vulnerable we are. All of us learn very quickly how one call from a doctor can ruin your whole life. You learn very quickly just how broken and need, needy and vulnerable you are and you need someone who can put your mess together again and we all come to God and we bring with us our broken hearts and we bring with us our, our sick neighbors and we carry with us our, our hurt family members and we say, Jesus, can you do anything with this? We're still doing that 2,000 years later. We're bringing our brokenness to the house of God. All these years later, we're staggering in under the weight and the load and the pain of our lives, and we hide it well. We dress ourselves up in our Sunday clothes. We act spiritual when they sing our song, but you know, and I know uh, what was in your heart. Well, let me say that back. You know, and God knows. I don't know, and I don't want to know. I was just preaching, and I got carried away. That's what preachers do. I don't want to know. God knows and you know what was going on in your heart but you came into the church house you made yourself all proper and fancy and here you all are and you think no one knows God knows let me tell you what you ought to do you ought to bring that broken heart to God you ought to bring that sin to God you ought to say I'm still uh, seeking you as long as you're seeking uh, God's still speaking but if you'll stop seeking uh, you won't hear the voice of God in your life Apart from God, all humans are spiritually dying. It's like the songwriter said, everybody has a broken heart. It's not just life's losers that have a broke heart. Everybody has a broken heart. Apart from God, we all of us are spiritually dying. And since the fall of humanity into sin, the work of our hand has been cursed by the choices of our heart. We have been alienated until Christ came and reestablished spiritual hope and gave it as a gift of divine love to all of us. And the result of that is this insatiable desire in every human. Ecclesiastes 6 talks about it. Proverbs 27 talks about it. This desire in our hearts for God. Not only are we needy, not only are we weak, but we have a vision problem. First, you should know this, that your eyes, your physical eyes, struggle to perceive things of the spiritual. In fact, it's actually worse than that, and I should say it stronger. Your physical eyes cannot see the spiritual in your life. Your spiritual eyes will lie to you and tell you that the nature of things is only as you perceive them. And this is so true. I'm actually working on some studies right now where I talk about this, where I pretend that I'm trying to convince an unbeliever that even if they weren't a believer, the manner in which we serve God is still the best way for them to care for their soul. And let me explain it like this. The way we perceive the world is not actually how the world exists. Let me just stretch your brain here for a moment. There's two mathematical uh, ways of perceiving the existing universe and the visible universe. You will know them as, uh, if you remember back to school, Newtonian physics or classical fix physics. That is how things seem to happen. You drop a ball, it hits the ground. And uh, uh, the thing that none of us understand, but occasionally we pretend like we do, quantum physics, which is not classical physics.
physics. Don't shake your head at me, Bethy. You're smarter than I'll ever be, and I've learned how to pretend like I'm smart, and your dad knows how to pretend he's smart, so I'm going to need you to step up in this church, okay? I'm going to need you to learn how to fake it like you make it. Ask your dad for more instructions on that. <laughs> I want you to understand there's two ways. Now, I'm not talking as a believer. I'm not talking as a believer. I'm trying to make an appeal to you as someone who is speaking as the world as it is. Is the world we live in uh, classical? Is it Newtonian? Or is there a world beneath it that doesn't make sense at all? And things can be in two places at once and actually can be in a universe not of this universe, provably so. Which one is real? Is it classical? Here's another way to ask. Is the quantum world, which if you understand the quantum world, it suddenly makes spiritual things very believable because the particle you're trying to measure seems to be spiritual. It's here but not here at the same time. Or is it classical? Or... Let me define that better. Is the world really classical physics, what we understand, and the quantum layer beneath it is a type of illusion that doesn't exist? Or, you see, if that's the case, you, should, you would make sense not to believe in spiritual things. It makes sense because there's no evidence of it. The quantum world is just a, a type of, how shall we say, illusion, and the world is really classical. All that you can see is exists. Or is it the other? Is the world really quantum? And the illusion, the classical that rises is out of it, the things that you think. Well, tests have been done. This is not up for grabs anymore. Tests have been done. And let me shake what you think you know about the world. The world is actually quantum. It is the classical world thing, stuff that is the illusion. And in light of that, you ought to open, to your, mi- you open your mind to the possibility that maybe there's something to the spiritual. You should open your mind to the possibility. Leave your heart open to the potential that this world we live in, the spiritual language we use, is more reflective of reality than the unbelieving language where I only believe what is in front of me. I wasn't intending on preaching this today, but I threw it in for your listening pleasure. Let me get back on track. There is with all of us a desire, and it's not just uh, us as church people, all nations, all people. Christ becomes the desire of all the nations because Christ is the reconciliation of we mortals with that which is eternal. Christ is the reconciliation of we sinners with that which is holy. Christ is the reconciliation of people not like me with me. We are who were once strangers have been brought near. We who once were isolated have been brought into a family. We all of us through Christ have been given spiritual adoption. You are not your own. You've been bought with a price. Apart from God, we all of us are hungry for something we cannot explain. But through Jesus Christ, we have reconciliation to God. If you don't want to think of it that way because you have too secular a mindset, let me say it this way. Everyone wants to be reconciled to God, and Christ becomes our path of reconciliation to God. Therefore, all peoples, all nations, all tribes are looking for a way to to be reconciled to God. Do you see? All peoples, even the secular,
secular modernist is looking for a way to have meaning beyond this life of weekends and paychecks. More than just the next vacation, I would like it all to mean something. You are seeking what you do not know. But I have come to tell you, in Christ is life, and in him was the light of men. We struggle to perceive, we struggle to see, but through Christ we have spiritual reconciliation. If we are hungry, we will find, but if we do not seek, we will forever be stuck with whatever it is we have. The verbs Christ used to explain the nature of the heart seeking God were asking, somebody say asking, seeking, somebody say seeking, and knocking, somebody say knocking. I hope you haven't been serving God so long that you formulized God and you're no longer pursuing him as a real relationship. I hope you haven't been serving God so long that to, to you, church life is about right arguments. None of us know near as much as we think we do. None of us have a handle on everything. All of us are what? Asking, seeking, and knocking. That is the right relationship. There is a risk that we become such professional Christians that we spend all of our time winning arguments, not seeking presence. We spend all of our time standing in a type of self-defense that other people feel as a philosophical attack, and we spend none of our time humbling ourselves before God and saying, God, I don't know near as much as I think I do. I am asking, I am seeking, I am knocking. Thus the writer says, blessed are those. This is referring to the words of Christ at the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are those who what? Hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied. Let me give to you a quote and I'm finished. Let me give to you a quote from I think perhaps the greatest Christian thinker of modern time and that is the writer C.S. Lewis and he says this if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy the only probable explanation is that we were made for another world I'm going to say it again I want you to uh, let it smite you as it were think about the consequences of it if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. I know we're in this world, but we were made for another world. I know our feet are firmly planted on this clay, but within our hearts, another world sings. Do you see? In this world, our trouble follows, follows us around. But it could be in our spirit is a call from another world. How do I get from this world of my fallen nature <laughs> to a world that is of God in eternity? I do it through Christ Jesus. He of whom the prophets spake. He who is the desire of all nations. And this is what I want to show you. Not only are you seeking God. Not only are you seeking God. But God is seeking you. We miss this too often. Not only are we seeking God. God is 
seeking us. John wrote this, chapter 4, verse number 23. He is speaking the words of Jesus. But the hour is coming, and now is here, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. That's actually not my favorite part of the scripture. It used to be. When I was a young preacher, that was my favorite part. This is my favorite part now. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. Do y'all remember when churches used to go door to door? I was in a revival one time, and uh, (laughs) uh, I was knocking doors. And I knocked on a door, and they had a screen door up, and this huge, slavering Rottweiler come running around the house. And he was screaming, thank you, Lord, for this food I'm about to eat. I was a 23-year-old preacher, and I froze. I extended my hand, and the Rottweiler took it. (laughs) Just kidding. He didn't bite me. I thought he was going to. That's actually an old J.T. Pugh joke. That actually happened to him. He said, I extended my hand, and the dog took it. (laughs) I just never got to say that, so I thought I'd tell a lie, you know. (laughs) You know how you want to do things, you never had a chance to do it? It's like when I didn't have glasses, I wanted to have glasses so I could preach and I could take my glasses off. And I could say, now you dirty suckers need to come here to an altar. And then I had glasses. It's not near as much fun as I thought it would be. I have some crazy experiences knocking doors. My wife and I, in revival, we, would, we, would, we, would, we made a commitment to the Lord. We were so desperate to have some kind of a breakthrough type revival in churches that every day that of revival we would go just her and I and we would do outreach we made our own flyers we'd go and I have crazy stories I'll never forget uh, one time in uh, Barstow Texas California Barstow California I have other Texas stories don't worry I'll tell those some other time um, uh, we did this whole I didn't know that the, this whole part of town was empty and she and I walked in a hundred not kidding a hundred and I think it's like a hundred and thirty 13 degree heat. We walked and put flyers out on this whole deal and finally somebody stopped and said, you know nobody lives there. And so that's when I cussed for the first time. And uh, I walked and it was so hot the, uh, the RV we had wouldn't cool off. And uh, we would literally every day go spend the afternoon in the public library because their air conditioning didn't work. Anyway, crazy stories. Door to door. My mom used to make me go door to door when I was just a little kid. In fact, there were people in our church when I was a little kid that were one to God because I knocked on their door and invited them to church. Um, Roland uh, Sr., uh, some of you know Roland Sr. years ago, um, he, he was on he, about a mile over here. He lived, and uh, my mom got all fired up and said she's going to knock doors, and when she said she, she meant me too, and so I didn't have a choice. And I went, I was like, I don't know, maybe eight years old, nine years old. And he was on his front porch drunk. He was just sitting there hollering at people going by. And my mom said, go over there and invite that man to church. I said, call Child Protective Services right now. 
I did. I walked over. I didn't have a choice. I was mad. I was scared. I'm still a little mad about it, to be honest with you. I walked over and invited him to church. Guess what? My dad taught him a home Bible study. He got in the church, still in the church today. I may have just passed I don't know he lives up the mountains I think he just passed this past year yeah he, he just passed this past year but um, so anyway have you ever thought that God has his own door-to-door -door ministry he actually does it's not just you seeking God it's God seeking you and God comes to your house and he God is seeking Worshippers, We want to be a worshiping church. What do we mean when we say worship? I teach this every month in First Steps. If you haven't been to it, um, stick your head in there. Most cycles, we have room for a few people more. But the first lesson of every First Steps, I talk about worship, why we do the things we do. I talk about how uh, we raise our hands. We raise, I talk about some people dance. I talk about some people run. I, I go over the whole thing. I give them scriptures. And I always talk about authentic worship. What is authentic worship? Authentic worship is when it pours out of you, but you're not faking to be somebody you're not. We don't want to. We don't want to fake worship because that's just a show, and that makes it about us. And I have seen churches and preachers where if you didn't get out in the aisle, you know they beat you up. Like my God, if much as God's done for you, how you can sit there, blah blah. We don't do that here. First, I'll tell you why. Because some of you see, we got a worshiper right here. My brother, take your time, run them aisles. My God, what, what, what? Word. That was awesome. I could not have planned that better. Yes, Lord, thy servant hears thee. And so uh, the point is, is if you, we have people in our church that are dancers. I'm not, I'm not a big dancer. I'm more of a kind of a jumper in place type person. Why? Because that's what I do when I stop thinking about you. That's authentic worship. As long as I'm thinking about you, that's not authentic worship. That's called performance. Now, we have people in our church that are very authentic. I, I have Anthony over here. Anthony will run and tackle various pieces of equipment in the church. We were in church one time. We used to have an organ right here. He came around this corner running. He crashed into the organ, busted the furniture, busted the plant, didn't even care. A little bit of brain damage, but no one noticed. You know why I have him on our pastoral team and me? I'll tell you why. Because the church needs both. You see what I'm saying? Some of you, authentic worship is you not what you do when you don't stop thinking about people. Involves you stepping out in the aisle. You lifting your head. Some of you guys are criers. All you do is cry. My God. You stand there and cry. Been crying for years. Cry, 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 cry. That's awesome. You know why? Because you're not thinking about me. That's authentic worship. That means you need to have room in your heart for people who are quieter than you. And you need to have room in your heart for people who are louder than you. And we need to all come together and forget about what each other are, is doing and offer true, authentic worship unto the Lord. All right, I'll talk about that more. You come to First Steps. My point is this. God is seeking people. It's not just people seeking God. And you have the opportunity to be a part of a divine love story where you are seeking God and God is seeking you. You are seeking God and God
God standing at the door of your heart and he's knocking. He's seeking you and you're seeking him. Stand with me all across the house. The hour is coming and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. He is the desire of all nations. We celebrate All Nations Sunday because no matter where you come from, no matter what your background is, no matter what your inheritance, your ethnic, national, or cultural inheritance is, you're seeking to be reconciled to the eternal. You are seeking access to the presence of God. Even unbelievers are looking for something. Even the modern secularist is looking for something. He is the desire of all nations. That, that's enough. We're going we're gonna to move into prayer. If you have a need in your life, I'd like you to be bold right now. I'd like you to believe that God could meet you in this house. I would like you to speak words of faith in this house. If you have a need of healing, a specific prayer request for yourself or others, this is the opportunity to exercise your faith. If you have circumstances of finances, career, family, all of those things, this is the time for you to be specific in your faith. And so I'd like to invite all of you who will to step out of the pew you're in, come stand across the front. We're going to call upon the name of the Lord together. Whatever your need is, I believe that God will meet you in this house and make a difference in your life. If you choose to stay where you are, that's fine. Uh, you can pray right where you are. Just let your faith be strong. If you're visiting with us here today, you're welcome to, to, to be dismissed at any time. Don't forget about our all nations, taste of the nations, where we have food from all the different nationalities of the church right across the parking lot in the Life Center. We already have a bunch of people over there right now cooking. But let's don't rush away from this moment of what God can do in this house. Our worship team is going to take us deeper. Come to the front, pray. Pray one with another. If you're with your family, pray with your family. Take, take your children by the hand. Pray as a family. If you're by a friend and you're already doing life together, pray one for another. Let's turn this whole house into a place where the name of the Lord is called upon. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us.